Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome back. To season 16 of Food for Thought. I can't actually believe it. I can't even believe we're on season 16. And I'm back in the studio here in London. It's fantastic. We've got the most incredible lineup of guests that are going to be bringing you the most fascinating conversations with nutrition, health and wellness fields. We've definitely gone above and beyond, guys, this time. I want to make sure that we have all the best information out there to equip you with the latest scientific evidence and research so you can, of course, live and breathe a healthy lifestyle supporting you to make informed decisions because after all you're the ones that make the decisions with your life a little bit about me for those of you that don't know i am rhiannon lambert a registered nutritionist sunday times best-selling author of the science of nutrition many other books there too the founder of harley street clinic retrition and the evidence-based supplements company retrition plus over the next few weeks my guests and i aim to use science-based research so we're going to sort fact from fiction there is an overwhelming amount of confusing health information out there so join us to dispel everything that remains misunderstood within the world of wellness and as always thank you so much gosh we couldn't do it without you wonderful listeners honestly the messages i receive the support the love it's incredible and i can't wait to hear what you think of the new season so let's go with the rise of plant-based eating and people adopting vegan diets, I wanted to do an episode on the real do's and don'ts of plant-based eating. I feel like there's so much confusion because plant-based diets now have research to suggest that it can prevent chronic disease, uh, treat heart disease even, obesity, people with high cholesterol, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and even some types of cancer. So these are pretty big remarks, pretty big claims. And I think the movement towards plant-based eating continues to grow year on year. So record-breaking numbers of more than 700,000 individuals from 228 countries took part in Veganuary in the year 2023, which is fantastic. And of course, that doesn't include those people that didn't even register to say they were doing it. So this week's Food for Thought is one that I'm really passionate about. And I'm speaking to Dr. Gemma Newman. So she's also known as the Plant Power Doctor. She's the host of the Wellness Edit podcast, having worked as a medical doctor for 18 years. Her vast experience there, Gemma, is passionate about holistic health and plant-based nutrition, which is quite rare, I have to say, in GPs, which is why I'm equally excited today. Now, Gemma's been invited regularly to teach other doctors and general public about plant 
plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So from this passion, Gemma's also contributed as an author. I've got her book at home and a broadcaster to many books, publications and TV shows providing her expertise and knowledge. So Gemma, it's a privilege. Hello. Hello, Janet. How are you? Oh, well, I'm better now you're here. I've got to be honest. I've been waiting. (laughs) I feel like I've been having these chats with you sporadically DMing on Instagram and I know we've got a lot of similarities in our life to a degree we've both got two little boys and it's well I say little but different ages now but this conversation is one I know we're immensely passionate about yeah definitely so let's start what is plant-based nutrition because people get this wrong a lot I think yeah I think there's a lot of misconceptions around it and it's a little bit different from veganism isn't it yeah so For me, when I talk about plant-based nutrition, I really aim to focus on a predominantly plant-based diet. So that means a huge abundance of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, chickpeas, lentils, beans, tofu, tempeh, all of that kind of (laughs) stuff. Yeah, love it. And um, that's where the predominant uh, dietary pattern lies. Yeah. When it comes to being plant-based, I think a lot of people kind of think, oh, well, that means you have to be vegan. Vegan, Mm. And it doesn't, um, because veganism is a lifestyle based on minimising harm. Mm. And so that is a quite a different philosophy. And that's all about aiming to reduce your animal products in different aspects of your life, not just on your plate, mm. because you're aiming to reduce suffering. Which I think ethically is obviously a beautiful thing in itself. But it's quite an extreme change to what I think the societal norm is. Because a lot of people are brought up in a world, and obviously your background dependent here as well, if your parents are not educated in food, this term plant-based will pretty much mean vegan and there's a huge miscommunication going on there. But I mean, there's vegetarians, there's flexitarians, there's fruitarians, just to name a few. So we all have our own unique dietary choices. How do you approach this subject? I'm particularly interested in your work, obviously, as a doctor as well. Do you get asked about this a lot, diets? I do get asked about it a lot through my social media mm. because obviously Your name? my handle is Plant Power Doctor. When you created that handle, <laughs> were you fully fledged in that mission or was it just a complete coincidence? No, I, I created the account because I realised that we needed to help people if they wanted to go more plant-based. Yeah. And I was at that stage vegan. Yeah. And I thought to myself, how can I help people who come to me and say, you know what, I've read the environmental science or I've decided to widen my circle of compassion, but I just don't know where to start. Mm. That was why I made the account originally. Mm. So it was always with that in mind. Um, But when it comes to my day to day clinics, I see all sorts of people for all sorts of problems in all walks of life. I've got nearly 3000 patients and Many of them do not have um, much in the way of a budget. Mm. Um, They are struggling often to make ends meet. And there's a huge amount of social issues that I see as well at work. That being said, I really also like to empower my patients. So I aim to give them, if they are interested or have the mental bandwidth, some form of lifestyle advice for almost everybody that comes in. That can obviously be diet because that's one of the easiest handles to shift to start with. But it also involves things like sleep patterns and stress levels. And in 10 minutes, I mean, how on earth do you, in such a short space of time, you said you've got 3,000, which is enough to get your head around. Obviously, you don't see them frequently. I guess it depends when they happen to need to see you. Yeah. So these changes must seem 
obviously it can be life-changing. I think one bit of advice that you as a doctor have the power to give your patients is that one bit of take-home advice, like just put more cans of pulses in your cupboard. Yeah, exactly. It can change your life. Oh, completely, exactly. And you know what? I like to think of it as planting a little seed. Yeah. Because if you've got somebody in front of you and you plant a seed, they might not have enough water, they might not have enough sunshine, they might not have fertile soil, but if and when they do then you never know when that's going to grow into a beautiful flower. Oh, that's nice. It's <laughs> a nice analogy because you and I both know there's so many benefits to plant-based diets. I mean, we'll come on to that in a minute, I think. But I want to ask you how you personally, if you don't mind, I don't know to what level you're comfortable with, want to discuss your passion about plant-based eating because obviously as a medical perspective as well, we're looking at blood pressure, we're looking at heart disease, uh, longevity. There's yes. a lot of links now. Oh, it's amazing. I'm, I am so passionate about it, as you can probably guess. Um, when I see my patients, I, I see that they can actually massively reduce their blood pressure using some simple dietary changes. Mm. And you know, we know about the top causes of death in the West and world heart disease and cancer and the world cancer research fund tells us that a diet based on fruits vegetables whole grains and legumes yeah. is like the cornerstone of a cancer preventing mm. diet heart disease you know all the guidelines are talking about plant-based nutrition as being one of the foundations for heart disease prevention so for me it's about doing the most good with the you know the least resources and so when we change our diet it can make a, a huge impact what blows my mind and this is a whole other subject I wasn't going to ask you, but just as you were saying that, I was thinking it's so blatantly obvious that diet can help reduce these risk factors and the state of metabolic disease we've got and the current condition. And if we take the UK as an example, I know this is global and westernised countries. Why on earth do the government put funding or why is there such a huge money profitable area in fast food chains, places that are full of saturated fat, they don't contain a lot of the fibre, the pulses, the plants. Mm. And they know the medical system is stretched. Mm. Surely you'd think there'd be more interventions. Well, you would. And in an ideal world, there would be. And a lot of it comes down to immediate profit, especially when it comes to uh, companies. Uh, mm. Perishable goods are really hard to keep fresh. Yeah, of course. And so they're going to want to put things on the shelf that have a long shelf life. It means they can make a good return on their money. Mm. And, you know, that, that sells. Um, it ha it's highly palatable. It's full of the, the fats and the sugars that our brains yeah. um, will crave. And so that makes it an easier choice. And also... And for people that have limited budgets, it's cheaper, yeah. it's subsidised. Um, it's and, fortified. And yeah. one of the nutritional factors, which is why I try, you know, we pass no judgment on the Food for Thought podcast. And it's about education, it's about empowerment. But it's all very well me saying, I guess, equally, oh, we should all just be doing this. It's not simple. Some people can't mm. put food on the table. Mm -hmm. At least that slice of white bread or processed food they've got there is fortified with some extra nutrients yes. it's something isn't it that well, they're exactly, going to get exactly and also and I know we'll probably touch on this later but mm. when it comes to young child nutrition they actually can sometimes struggle to get the energy intake mm. and so having a bit of white bread or white pasta yeah. is good for their energy intake mm. and also if it's fortified a lot of the um sources of uh, things like breakfast um, cereals exactly fantastic. exactly mm. they're fortified with like b12 um, iron folate iron mm. uh, and this is really important 
because we need these nutrients. If we're yeah. not going to get them in other ways, it's really important to eat these four to five I foods. have to say, now my eldest is three and you get that, you know, every child goes through a fussy eating stage to a degree. You know, mm. some will have it really bad, others worse. It's actually quite reassuring as a parent knowing that there is that additional iron there in that breakfast because you just can't guarantee how they're going to eat for the rest of the day. Exactly. So it is helpful. But what are the health benefits then of following a plant-based diet? Have you personally anecdotally noticed changes as well that you're able to share? Well, I have. And it's interesting because it's not necessarily what I would have ever expected. Um, I I felt well before I decided to go vegan. But what I did notice is that it reduced my blood lipid profiles. And that was something that was really important to me. Um, When I was in my 20s, I had a raised lipid profile. And this is when I was really trying my hardest to be healthy you know I was eating a lot of to explain to our listeners that's fats right we're talking about measuring the measuring the the blood blood test and looking at the fats in the blood and some of those fats increase risk of heart disease later in life and we aim to reduce those there's a direct causal link between LDL and increased risk of heart disease and that's one of the uh, carriers of fats in the blood. So yeah, we talk about good and bad cholesterol. Mm. <laughs> Quite, I know, I know, it's not that simple, but yeah. for some people, but, yeah, it's no, it's yeah. easy to so, identify with. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, with those readings, they were raised, and I was really fit. I was exercising all the time, eating lots of salads, chicken and fish. I was like, oh gosh, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. Yeah. And you know, my my grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack. He was playing tennis. He was yeah. really. Mm, early 60s my dad died suddenly of a heart attack in his late 50s and I thought it was my genetic destiny to have the same issues so about a month after I decided to eat a completely whole foods plant-based diet I checked my lipid profile in my blood and for the first time in my adult life they were normal Mm. (laughs) so I was very pleased that's an anecdote Um, but also I used to do a lot of running in in my 20s and I used to have to wear these big thick knee supports on both knees and I got a lot of knee aches Mm. and that just stopped and I'm in my 40s now and I've never had any issues with my knees since going plant-based so that's an anecdote yeah but but I think it's nice to have personal stories obviously we're not saying this is going to apply to everyone (laughs) but it is nice to have that information I could relate to the heart you know heart diseases in my father's side of the family I also was told I have high cholesterol standard you know oh it's fine it's okay the ratio is not too bad you'll be all right just Mm. whereas actually I'd love to have my bloods measured again actually with my diet in the last few years but it would be so interesting to see because a lot of people just think oh that's what it is and then they think I'll go on statins when I'm older and that's just how my life is going to present but let's delve deeper then into these beneficial compounds within food that have this amazing power because plants are actually responsible for so many benefits we can talk about polyphenols another word kind of for antioxidants yes let's go there okay let's do this do it (laughs) (laughs) so i love plants because they do contain these antioxidants polyphenols phytonutrients uh fiber the fiber content we now know how important that is uh, in many ways it reduces the risk of diverticulosis it reduces the risk of bowel cancer um we have the heart disease benefits we have the reduced risk of cancer it can help us to modulate our hormone levels we can have potentially reduced levels of igf1 in the bloodstream um which is one of the risk factors for cancer. Um, we are increasing the um, good stuff and sort of reducing the so-called bad stuff. I mean, yeah. I don't really think of foods necessarily no. as good and bad, but you are in, fe- in effect uh, sort of reducing the amount of carcinogenic compounds that you're eating as well um, by having more plants, more fibre. Yeah. 
Um, and so there's a multitude of benefits and I've seen that as well in my patients. What's lovely is some of the kind of knock-on effects. So I had one patient who was really hoping to improve her bowel symptoms, uh, which she did. Yeah. But she also had asthma and she had an autoimmune disease uh, and she was able to actually improve her breathing, improve her kidney function, improve her bowel function. So from having to have specialist hospital appointments every other week, she was actually free to go live her life and uh, they all discharge her from Just clinic. from dietary changes? Just from dietary oh, changes. It's, oh, it's so heartwarming. I know, it's lovely. You just think of all the difference. And, and I know it's complex, there's a bigger picture, but that's powerful stuff. It is, and it, it honestly, it warms my heart when I when I see them because it's, it's their achievement you know, this mm. is something that, that they've worked on and that they're living um, and it's, it's just it's magical and I have patients that have been struggling with things like even things like period pains and yeah. periods they can actually be affected by some of our dietary choices as well which people don't often realise No and menopause I was reading more of course about dietary changes in menopause and you know I've heard at the moment that they're conducting a study um, on menopausal women with those that are eating a plant based diet and those that aren't and how severe their symptoms are and I can't wait for that data to come out because I'm feeling kind of optimistic that we could make this better for ourselves with the dietary choices we have. Yes, definitely. And I've seen that play out with some of my patients. And there have been studies on vasomotor symptoms, you know, things like the hot flushes and increased consumption of plant-based foods, fibre-rich foods. Yeah, soy and I've read as well. Of course, soy is incredible for that because yeah. the isoflavones in mm. soy, um, if you have a gut microbiome that is compatible to be able to actually absorb and utilise those, it can potentially really... Um, improve your flushes symptoms as well. So we need to explain that because I think we're all unique. We had different pathways into this world, depending how you were born, you've had a different nature nurture experience. And what you've just said there is the key crux, I think, to embracing the individual differences that we have in the nutrition world is that you could eat the best diet in the world, but your digestion will react in a different way to someone else with the food that you're consuming. Therefore, we are unique individuals and we require unique diets. But that's all... You know, that's part of the problem I see is the bigger public health level problem we've got is that we can't just all follow one type of diet mm. to the letter. Yeah, I think it's interesting to me thinking about how these diets play out on a population level yeah. and how they play out on an individual level. And it's about trying to find the pattern that works well for you. And I think certainly on a population level, things like dietary guidelines are hugely important because if more of us would pivot towards what the dietary guidelines are telling us to eat, most of us would feel generally a lot better. Mm. Uh, but having said that, there will be idiosyncrasies based on, as you say, you know, our, our gut health, our microbiome, our stress levels mm. our ability to sleep. get a good night's sleep <laughs> yeah something that many mums will relate yes. to i'm sure yeah um, and the way we move our bodies and there's so many different aspects our pollutants environmental pollutants oh i know plastic pollutants, microplastics yeah. air pollution you know there's so many different things that play into our ability to actually absorb and utilize those nutrients we have an episode, I think I did it a few series ago on plastic pollution. I'd encourage any listeners to go back and have a listen because it was pretty fascinating. Probably is updating now, actually, come to think about it. But let's keep on the nutrition sideline discussion just for a second. The key nutrients people need to be aware of because there's a lot of misconceptions that you'll be deficient in everything, I think, when you go plant-based. <laughs> yeah, so what I like to think of when we think about plant-based nutrition is key nutrients of focus and key nutrients of abundance. Mm. And if we're aware of, you know, where we want to try and make sure that we're getting enough, then we can have a, a very healthy and beneficial dietary pattern. So 
I will always tell people the number one thing to be aware of is your vitamin B12 levels. Yeah. Um, B12 as you know, um, is made by microbes in the soil. And interestingly, when we eat um, factory farmed animals, which is what we mostly will, they have their feed supplemented with B12 supplements. Mm. And so that's how it's contained within their meat. Mm. And so it's important for people who are having a fully plant-based diet to ensure that they're getting that. And some people prefer to get that through fortified foods, nutritional yeast, marmite, um, fortified plant milks, fortified cereals and so on. I would prefer to let people know that it's actually so much easier just to take a supplement. I couldn't actually agree more. So I have my own supplement brand, Retrition Plus, and we did a lot of research in this area. And actually the misconceptions on the internet with foods and B12 is equally scary. People think they can take spirulina or mushrooms and then have a complete source of vitamin B12. And it is not correct. No, spirulina does not have active B12 that you can actually absorb. And so that's a really important one to be aware of. And it's scary because people are out there saying online, I've seen the videos on TikTok and other channels. I even saw, sadly, another doctor in the NHS the other day doing a post on mushrooms saying it is a source of B12 because of something he clearly Googled. Mm. And what's more worrying is this is a mainstream media doctor who's on Lorraine and things. So, you know, this is why we've got a problem because not all medics are trained like you are on yourself. You do your research. We do it properly. And I feel like the Internet's wild. Yeah, it is. It's overwhelming Uh, for, imagine, the public health. You're thinking... The general people out there are like, I just want to get my B12. Where do I get it from? I know. If you turn into the internet, who knows what you're going to find? I know. It's a minefield. It's a minefield. Well, all I can say about that is if you really want to have a baseline understanding, then just look at nutritional guidelines to start with. You know, we know in the UK we've got the Eat Well Plate. I personally love to talk about the plant-based health professionals version, which is the uh, plant-based Eat Well Plate. It's it's very similar. Obviously, it's it's designed by dietitians to match that um, because it's a much more sustainable way of looking at things. But the actual guidelines that we have are really good. And if we could aim to look at those to start with and then you know, looking for um, things like the Vegan Society. Yeah. They work with dietitians. They actually have a supplement too. Your supplement is fantastic. Thank you, but yeah. Um, they do a really a good one, which mm. is essentially, you know, B12, selenium. iodine, selenium. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's just nice to know that, okay, you've got that covered. So, yeah, I think trying to look at uh, professional bodies that work mm. with accredited dietitians is very helpful. And of course, yeah, a lot of people do look online. Yeah. So it's important to have a presence there too. Yes. We can't just give up on online no. uh, communication because no. it would be even worse for people. Yeah. And just understanding that taking that supplement if you are a plant-based eater, can just relieve you of the additional worry of panicking or microanalyzing your food every day, which can become an unhealthy obsession and can develop a poor relationship with food or equal anxiety for not being able to afford perhaps to eat in a certain way. We've got to look at things like iodine, which are involved in our brain health, our cognition, our thyroid. There's so many many things. But for people that want to start more plant-based meals, what would you say is a top trick you've got at home like uh, give us your tips and tricks Gemma. oh my tips and tricks i've got so many um (laughs) well you know i think when you're first getting started i would say actually go slow okay Mm. now many people decide you know they may have watched a documentary and they're really pumped and really passionate and i feel like that after documentaries can i just say uh, half the time i'm crying because it's always on something i feel very emotive or it's passionate and 
anyway but I then feel really motivated like I'm gonna do this now yes and then you're like oh actually I need the tools to do this (laughs) yeah exactly you need the tools and you know I think it's one of those things just to be kind to yourself think okay I'm I'm excited I'm motivated but let's make this something that I can actually do so Mm. go slow see how your gut's feeling maybe start off by thinking okay maybe I'm gonna make myself a plant-based breakfast and have the have the ingredients in my house maybe swap over my plant milks to start with and see which ones I like which ones taste good with cereal which ones taste good Mm. with coffee which ones my kids enjoy and we can talk about some of the options there because there are so many on the market it's it's quite nice to have that variety to look at yeah and that could be number one there are so many i, I remember what was it six seven years ago there weren't and they weren't fortified because i did so i was on the apprentice one year judging the final product where camilla had produced a plant-based drink and it got to the final two and i was there on the round table and it wasn't fortified and there weren't options out there that had iodine and all the other nutrients and i remember sitting there and my question to her i don't think it made it on the tv edit with alan sugar and i remember saying you know, have you considered fortifying this product nutritionally? And, she, and I love Camilla. She'll listen to this and laugh about it. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, and then she came up to me after. She's like, I don't know what that means. What, <laughs> what am I doing? And it's because back then there, there just wasn't this variety. No, and it's wonderful to see that now. And it makes me so happy to see that most supermarket-owned brand unsweetened soy milks will be fortified with things like iodine and B12 and calcium. Vitamin D. And vitamin D. And it makes me very happy because I know that that's going to be such a simple thing for people to Mm. to swap out. They've got a very equivalent protein content there with the soy milk or the pea milk Mm. and they've got also the fortification. But you do have to check the label still. Yeah, and just to touch for anyone, because I know a lot of people read a lot of misconceptions again that there's added stuff in milks. It's really bad for you. There's lots of things circulating virally again at the moment surrounding, I don't know, oat milk's a good example. People get very scared about these words that they don't understand because often vitamins can be written in their original form, their name, ascorbic acid, vitamin C. You know, we'll give examples. And people think, oh my God, there's acid in my acid, drink. Acid, yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's scary. But actually you do want, I do think if you're going to make a swap, it's an easy way of getting nutrients. Yeah. I'm going to bring the subject to sustainability. Yeah. Gemma, I said to you on the way down on the stairs, I'm a bit scared. And I'm going to be honest about that to everyone because I'm in a position of knowledge and I'm understanding. And sometimes the more you know, the the less you know, and the more overwhelming it can feel. I don't want it to be like a buzzword because we are in a position to look after the planet. So the United Nations say that industrial meat production is one of the most destructive ways humans can leave a footprint on this planet. And that's quite a big statement. And that plant-based diets can reduce emissions by up to 73%. Yes, But there's still so much confusion around this. We're talking deforestation, production of soy. Why are we importing so many avocados was a good argument people use. That there's a lot of demystification that needs to happen here. There is. And I'm really glad to have the chance to speak about this because I feel as though this is really central to... The future of humanity. It is. And um, I don't want to overstate that. Um, we are living through the sixth mass extinction event. I don't want to cry <laughs> Sorry, on a podcast, everyone. but that's how I feel right now. But maybe the, these raw emotions are really important. Yeah. Oh, look at us both. Oh, See? no, it makes me emotional as now well. Now I've got children as well. It's an added level hmm. of... Not that it is for anyone that doesn't have children as well. It's, it should be an equal concern, but mass extinction. Yeah. That's terrifying. 
Yes, uh, we haven't lived through this amount of species extinction since the dinosaurs were walking on this planet. That's how serious this is. And it's called the Anthropocene because it's caused by human activity. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk about this because I feel if people know some of these little bits of information, yeah. it will help them to feel excited about what they can do. Because yeah. honestly, you know, with every bite that we take and with every meal that we have, we can actually make a difference. Every purchase we make, yeah. every sandwich we buy. Yeah. So let me try and break it down so that people understand, because it's it's like a big web Um I think climate change can feel really overwhelming. But when we look at the food system, there's a big web of interconnected parts and people don't always understand how they're connected. So if we start by thinking about, well, we eat, even in the UK, mm. okay, 48% of the land in the UK is used for animal agriculture. So nearly half of our land. It didn't used to be that way. You know, we've only got 2.5% ancient woodland now and we used to be covered in forest. That's scary enough in itself. It yeah. doesn't feel right. It's it not, feels morally no, wrong. It's not right. And, you know, I'd love to hear... Actually, I don't know if you'd know this, but I'm going to sort of put you on okay, the spot. Okay, go on then. Um, twist it on me. It's twist it on you. <laughs> Can you guess how much of the mammal biomass of Earth is wild animals now? Oh, no, I... It would make me cry. Any I can idea? only imagine it's poor. So if you think about about, about mammal would... biomass of the entire globe, how much of it is Low. wild animals? What scares me is the word wild. I mean, I would say it's lower than 10%. You're right. Oh, no. See, that would be my guess. It, it's, yeah. it's shockingly poor. It's 4%. Oh, that is terrifying. I know. 4% on this planet, wild animals. Yeah. It's unjust is how I feel. Yeah. I feel that sadness about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's actually, it is it is really bizarre. If you think about it, 96% of mammal biomass on this earth is humans. And, of course, the vast majority is the animals that we purposely breed to eat. And 4% is wild. So that's what we're looking at globally. And then if we look at that sort of in the UK, thinking, oh, well, you know, that that's somewhere else. But it's actually here too. Like See, I so this is a big... Um, so I'm writing a project at the moment about this. And what scares me more is when I'm trying to communicate this message even to my loved ones. Oh, it's China. Yeah. Oh, it's America. It's anywhere but here. Yeah, I know. And that's what I think is really helpful to bring that home. So 48% of our land mass is put over to animal agriculture. And so here in the UK, we have lost the vast majority of our wild species. Um, it's not just a sort of worldwide problem. We've lost 88% of wild mammals. We've lost 80% of marine mammals. We've lost half of wild plants in the world. And in the UK, if we even think about stuff like sheep, okay, so... Um, we eat about maybe 1% of our calories from sheep. And yet, you know, we give over uh, billions of hectares of land for raising sheep for us to eat. And then we also Makes import no sheep from New Zealand. So it's just, it, it doesn't make logical sense. And so what I think is really crucial for people to understand is... Even clothing, right? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Even for clothing, you know, it's, it's a very small proportion. So what we need to think about is... If we use like 83% of the globe's land for animal agriculture, but it only actually constitutes about 18% of calories, there's a huge waste. Yeah. It's a huge, huge waste of, of viable land that we could use for ourselves yeah. and that we and could we give could over to nature. For nature. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the crux of it. This is another thing I think people don't necessarily understand. 
if we are able to eat more plant-based, we actually reduce vastly the amount of land that we need mm. for our food. And then that will allow much more rewilding. And the reason that that benefits us, so it's not just about making wild spaces for oh, the animals. Diversity, isn't it? Exactly. And I mean, that's a nice thing to do yeah. and it's important to do for, so, for sort of animal justice and things like that. But it's not just about the animals, it's about us as well. Mm. Because if we can rewild reforest replant those trees will put more oxygen in our atmosphere their carbon sinks they will they will get rid of a lot more of the carbon dioxide emissions as well so it benefits us it means that we have lower surface temperatures in the uk which means that we will actually have that and globally of course uh, much more stable weather conditions uh, we'll have less of in the way of things like storms wildfires flooding um, the soil degradation that we experience oh, yeah. from all of the crops that we have to grow to feed the animals we won't have any more which means that we'll have less flooding mm. in the UK mm. because those crops are degraded soil so they're so you get less of a yield from oh, them so the nutrients you get in these crops that are then farmed in a particular way yeah yeah so and we also have much more flooding okay because all of that all of that sort of um, soil gets washed away more quickly because you don't have those beautiful roots and mycorrhizae which are the like, fungal network works keeping the soil in place so it all gets washed into the rivers and the oceans and in the uk we have the most polluted waters in europe there is not one river in the uk that is not polluted. i did not know that the most polluted waters in europe yeah. in the uk yeah we don't have we do not have one river that does not contain pollution and most of that pollution comes from dairy farms mm. so what happens is you know with the with the cow manure and the extra fertilizers, that the, the nitrous oxide that's released, which is by the way, two hundred and sixty-eight times more potent than carbon dioxide, oh, lasts yeah. in the atmosphere a really long time. One thing I think the public are aware of is cows and the impact of right. greenhouse gases. I hope. I think I that hope message so. is kind of out there. I hope. <laughs> I but hope so. They don't get the link, isn't there? Like no, they don't understand the now, links the link. there. So, I mean, in Wales, for example, there are certain parts of Wales where trout populations are collapsing. Yeah. And that directly correlates with where the dairy farms are. Mm. And so obviously the silage, the runoff, uh, that can cause you know, human illness as well as animal um, um, issues. You know, so obviously if the, if the rivers and waterways and the oceans are polluted, it means that the fish are dying, which means that other mammals and birds can't live because they're not able to yeah, eat the fish. So yeah. And so that's another link that people don't realise. low global warming and temperatures killing yes. off, you know, water temperatures rising, everything's changing. Well, and this is another thing, again, this is a really interesting topic mm. because we think about the ocean. Oh, yeah. Now, we know that trees are important for oxygen mm. and, and for carbon sequestration. But did you know that when we bottom trawl the ocean for fish, it releases more carbon dioxide than the entire aviation industry put together. It's madness. The entire aviation industry. So when we scrape away the bottom of the ocean to try and get all of those fish, oh. what we're doing is we're actually releasing massive carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere. And all of the bycatch, which are all the fish and the mammals, and the dolphins and all the other things that are caught up in those nets as well. That's, I can't even get, uh, it makes me I know. Um, devastated. Yeah, so they, so they die and their bodies then release carbon into the atmosphere as well, which would otherwise have sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And the bottom of the ocean would be, is an incredible carbon sink. It could, literally, the oceans are actually the Earth's lungs. Uh, it produce, the oceans produce 50% mm. of our oxygen. How? phytoplankton the little baby plants yeah. in the ocean they photosynthesize and they produce oxygen for yeah. us so we're really missing a trick we're poisoning waters we're poisoning the waters and 
you know, this is another thing. I know we're going to probably talk a bit more about solutions, yeah. but the IMF says to us that if we can help support whale populations, that's going to be amazing because what whales do is they migrate. Yeah. And when they migrate, they will, they will soil and their, their, um, their excrement is very mm. high in things like iron, which the phytoplankton love. love. Yeah. And that means that they photosynthesize more and there's more oxygen. Fantastic. So, so why on earth are islands like Faroe Island just killing whales every year? Well, yes, that's a good question. Yeah, this is, this is, no, so... <laughs> Our listeners are probably sat here thinking, just as I feel, emotional, what on earth can we do? Why are the government not stopping this from happening? I think the government likes to think in election cycles rather than in... The fact our planet the pl- is dying. The, the cycles of life and earth. And, and it's it's very short-sighted because this will cause us existential and economic crisis. It, it's it's It's... I cannot overstate it enough. I know. Um, we we need to start really thinking about how we are going to support um, our own existence, mm. let alone um, the finances of the country. Yeah. And I think I know it's challenging. And I think recently they, they were talking about sort of putting back uh, carbon emissions goals and you know, not reaching in the Paris climate agreements. But the thing is, we simply have to if we're yeah. going to actually have a planet that we can live on. And this what affects if, humans as well. You know, yeah, the heat stress. Yeah, of course stress, it does. Um, of course it does. 250,000 excess deaths a year because of you know, things like malnutrition caused by climate change. We're only just noticing pollution deaths now and documenting yes, and being exactly. more Lung vocal about it. Yes. Living in the city, the children living in the city yes. exposed to pollution. I know. And antibiotic resistance. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. 700,000 deaths a year because of antimicrobial resistant bacteria. And that is... The majority of that is caused by animal agriculture, mm. even here in the UK. So, you know, this, these are the links. Oh, and of course, epidemic risks. You know, the next the next bird flu epidemic is going to probably be caused by poultry farms. We know yeah. it's it's inevitable. Yeah. We just don't know when. Yeah. Um, and so all of these little links, it, it, the web starts to become a lot more clear when we realise, OK, this is all connected. Yeah. And I think one of the... So you get a lot of climate change deniers and you get a lot of people that will be saying, well, you're just the word that I've had used against me when I've tried to relay facts is you're just preaching to me, Mm. you're preaching to me. And it's very hurtful at the same time. I'm hoping that this episode, the reason I really wanted to do this and with you is because you've just so eloquently and calmly explained that in a way that hits home, but equally mm. makes perfect sense. Oh, Each you. system is linked. And I think you explain that perfectly. And I've never actually disclosed online my diet or what I eat. But I feel like it's a really good episode to say, you know, since I got pregnant with my first son in 2020, I couldn't, I used to eat chicken. I couldn't stomach it anymore. Mm. I just couldn't stomach it. And then I did a lot of reading and I decided I wanted to raise my children in a way that's going to mean they're not going to find it hard in the planet in the future that maybe to consume meat you're going to be paying a hundred or pound who knows equally you want to be living in a sustainable way to support the planet so I made a decision to raise my children plant-based they might have the odd small bit of dairy or animal produce here and there but that's just the way I've chosen to do things at home with the knowledge we're now presented mm-hmm. I've never shared that before well thank you for sharing that with me Rhiannon no it's fine do you know I feel like crying because mm. 
I feel very, oh, I am going to cry. <laughs> this is just it. See, this is just, um, it's such an emotive topic. But I feel like we're, like you said, we've run out of time. So yeah. I want to hear solutions now. Yes. Not, I feel like I'm sitting watching my TV, David Attenborough documentary. I want to save this planet for me, for my children, for the wildlife that we've destroyed what can we do? Let's do it, Gemma. I need <laughs> Let's to twist the smile on now. Oh, we're going to do it together. Um, yes. So that this is why I get excited because mm-hmm. we can't necessarily rely on on governments to do these things for us. Although obviously we want those things to happen. We need huge shifts in many different sectors. But what can we do? Mm. Well, you know, we can make choices about what we put on our plate three times a day, seven yeah. days a week. And that's where it gets exciting. And that's why we need to educate because a lot yeah. of people don't know how to make those choices. Yeah, which is why you know, this is so yeah. exciting. So I'd say number one thing is to eat more plants. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is so simple. We've discussed some of the ways in which it's very labour intensive on the planet, but um, it just it makes so much more sense for all of these different interacting systems. And people often say, well, why don't we just eat local? And that's wonderful for supporting your local farmers, but it doesn't really change the environmental footprint. Only 0.5% of the emissions from cows are from transportation. Mm. And people get very confused. You mentioned about, well, surely it's better to have a piece of beef from my local farm than it would be to import something, blueberries from, I don't know, wherever. Yeah, people, the South yeah, the avocados over oh, from, yeah. yeah. The, but, but the thing is, you know, 99.8% of the food that we eat that's imported is actually imported by boat. Mm. And that is 50 times less carbon emissions than, than airplanes. Yeah. So actually you're going to be doing far more for the environment even if you choose to eat foods that are plant-based but are from other parts of the world Mm. than eating them local which is a huge misconception Mm. that people have um but so yeah i'd say eat more plants wherever they come from that is going to be an environmentally friendly decision yeah things like um, for frozen berries maybe you know things that are going to last in your freezer longer so you're not just buying a pun and also they're really expensive right yes exactly you want to reduce food waste Mm. and so freezing your um berries freezing vegetables uh things that you might yeah. put in smoothies um that's all fantastic because it keeps it keeps the freshness yeah. in there as well yeah. you know you don't lose Broccoli any nutrients stalks, by the way are delicious and it would have made the thought the thought of it as a child would have made me want to be sick because you know <laughs> that kind of thing i had a real thing against it when i was growing up i think so it's just the bitter taste isn't it i know but no. now i've cooked them roasted them they're so yummy with some salt Olive yeah. oil in the oven, delicious. Exactly, exactly. So I think on an individual level, we have to eat more plants. That's going to be a wonderful solution. Love it's going that. to massively improve our environmental footprint. In fact, the good news is we know that in terms of even things like biodiversity and keeping different species alive, if you adopt a flexitarian mm. diet, it can increase biomass, a variety of different species by about 5%. It could even be as easy, right, as saying, well, I'm not going to eat red meat this week. Maybe I'll have an egg instead. Mm, exactly. It's making little switches. Switches. Little switches like that. Um, the most, the most intense. Not just an egg, but I said that very flippantly. No, I know what you mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the most environmentally intense foods would be um, foods around. Um, well. Uh, beef and, and dairy yeah. um, and then the next would probably be things like uh, chicken and organic pork um, but they are 100 times more um, intense on the environment than plant foods so the amazing thing is if you did decide that you wanted to adopt a fully plant-based lifestyle you're looking at 46% increases in biodiversity um, you're looking at up to 75% increases in uh, the amount of land that's available for rewilding for planting trees mm. for improving habitats for, for natural native species yeah. 
universities in the UK. Um, It's wonderful to think about all those changes that we can actually have. And of course, they will help us to survive as well. They will give us a much more stable climate. We we won't have so many of these unpredictable storms um, and floods and fires. I think it's been a wake-up call this year, particularly for people that have resisted what I've said before in the last few years, when you've seen on the news the amount of flooding, the amount of fires, the amount of devastation this year. Mm. I look it's at Hawaii and you look at places and you just think, yeah, it's, it is heartbreaking. And we're beginning to see, sadly, the people who are affected the most are the people mm. who are causing the least. And Damage. So, yeah. And for those that are... I can hear you saying it now to me to saying, well, Ree, you know, you're in a position of privilege. It's true. I am a position of privilege to make these changes. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where I would then say, well, I know the government needs to step up. I know they need to do more to help people in a position that can't even put food on the table right now. This is our separate debate. We're just giving you the facts now. If you are in a position where you can make a change, banana oat pancakes are absolutely delicious in the morning. Replace yeah. that with your bacon fry up or something and you're already making an amazing change. You are, exactly. And it's about trying to do whatever you can within your means and your resources. It doesn't, you know, I definitely have always been of the, of the opinion that we do what we can. And mm. I feel very privileged to yeah. have been able to read all of this stuff and yes. think about how I was going to implement it and think about how I could share it with people. And not everyone is going to be in that mental bandwidth. No. but. If they understand some of these facts and feel excited to yeah. make a change, they can and we can help them do it. This so. is this is it. So this is how I want this podcast to kind of go. Is that I'm hoping that whilst I know and I was prepared, we had to touch on some heavy things in this episode and we've only skimmed the surface quite literally on this. There is a way if you have the power to do it. And I understand that life gets in the way. There's mental health, there's the busyness of it all, the stress. But the decisions we make to eat three times a day can make a humongous difference. So there's a lot of noise now as well, Gemma, on ultra-processed foods, of course. I think there's a lot of confusion around there. People are probably saying, Ree, should I be worried about wearing a blood glucose monitor? Should I be avoiding all ultra-processed foods? Or should I just be trying to eat a healthier diet with (laughs) plant-based foods and fibre? To me, the answer is pretty clear. Well, what are your thoughts when there's all this buzz right now around everything? I like to keep things simple. Yeah. And I think if we can aim to add in more plants, Mm -hmm. uh, more fruits, more veggies, we can try and add up our plant points if you're of that mentality, if you want to have a goal. Um, But I don't think we need to really micromanage that. I think especially... If you get yourself a very low cost, simple supplement like yours, yeah, like Veg One exactly. from the Vegan Society, yeah. um, and then you can start adding in more plant rich foods, swapping out a little bit of your beef mince for, mm, for lentils or, or lentils, corn mince. Yeah. By the way, corn is made from mental, um, mushrooms, everyone. I think people get really scared by the word because it's a trademark name, corn. Yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? I know. Microprotein, exactly. Microprotein, yeah. Yeah, I know, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. I think there's all, all these things. Um, we've got some questions from our listeners as well, Gemma. So one from um, Susie was that any tips for reducing increased acid reflux and indigestion when starting out on a plant-based diet, which I found interesting because that's not yes. usually a trigger, is it? No, it's not usually. So um, I'm sorry to hear that, Susie. But what I would say is you're absolutely right. People tend to suffer from reflux less when they have a plant-rich diet because um, it is higher in fibre um, and reflux tends to be triggered by high saturated fat foods usually um so that would usually be junk foods and animal products predominantly so people often find when they start a plant-based diet that they actually have less issues with reflux and um alcohol can be a trigger smoking can be a trigger 
Um, fizzy drinks can be a trigger, sometimes spicy foods, fried foods, of course. So I think perhaps if you are focusing on a more plant-based diet and you want to reduce your own symptoms of reflux, I'd say maybe just really focus on those veggies um, and uh, have as much of those as you can. Uh, whole grains would be good for reducing risk of reflux mm. as well. Um, herbal teas. Yeah. So rather than Happen having a lot, of co- a lot of caffeine, perhaps mm. that might be a little trigger for some people. Have a bit more of your herbal mm. teas. Peppermint teas can mm. relieve smooth muscle spasm as well. So that's quite nice for digestion generally. I know our gut health dietitians in the clinic do a lot of um, peppermint capsules and things right. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good one. Mm. And, um, and so I'd say, yeah, more plants. Maybe eat a little bit earlier in the evening so that you've got less to digest as you're going to lie down. Because obviously if you're lying down, then it's going to cause the sphincter in the stomach to open up a little bit and then it might pop up into the esophagus. So right. aim to eat a little bit earlier in the Your evening. Your patients are so lucky to have you, Gemma, because you know this knowledge. For someone that's just going to go to their local GP that doesn't have an interest in nutrition, are they just going to be prescribed the name of the uh, medicine gavas gone or something that's just yeah. going just relieve heartburn consistently. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we do have medications to yeah. relieve it, and of course, I just for the record, I will prescribe medications yeah, course, as well. <laughs> yeah, they're needed but, sometimes. You know, I think. Yeah, I think people do need the lifestyle changes. They need yeah. to know. Um, yeah. And it's the same with things like the cholesterol. You know, um, statins are really important, especially for certain patient yeah. groups, diabe- people with diabetes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we just use everything we can in our toolbox. So, yeah, I, I do talk about lifestyle and um, I think people are grateful for that. Oh, it's amazing. It's an, ex- it's an extra bonus, in my opinion. Um, the last question we've got from Joe was with all the resources out there and all the different nutritionists, dietitians, and of course, in my, my field, there's so many charlatans, there's so many people saying, they're nutritionists that don't even have a degree in in nutrition health they're not registered it's really hard to know who to follow so uh, joe has said for example some people explain to eat fruits before food and some say only at four o'clock as dessert and then you have to fast and then there's just a lot of mixed information i can see that joe is very confused (laughs) who on earth do you follow is what joe has said well I think I'll, I'll say to Joe, I understand this is a, a crazy wild west. <laughs> yeah. But I'd say follow nutritional guidelines, yeah. like I was saying earlier, and look for look for people who are talking about nutritional consensus and sharing details maybe of studies um, yeah. and also who have esteemed colleagues that they work with and that they interact with as well, um, people who follow dietary guidelines and people who seem to be up to date with the current consensus is helpful um not too good to be true is always one with me yeah not too good to be true i think yeah maybe a red flag would be as well saying this is what people are trying to hide from you Mm. this is what people you know this is what this is what your doctor will say this is what your nutritionist will say this is what your dietitian will say well this is not true i think mm, it's really tricky but if you say it's brand new information that nobody's ever heard and only you have the secret uh, then, then that's one of the red flags that I, I've noticed yeah. um, and I think it's it, we all like anecdotes we all feel connected to story mm. and so that's what, that's why I do sometimes share my story that's why I felt it's important I just shared that now because yeah. I want listeners to really see this exactly. is real yeah exactly um, and I think maybe aiming to really reach the heart with stories but also reach the mind with a, an understanding of the nutritional consensus is, is what's important online and hopefully we'll get people to make some changes yeah no I love that now we're going to move on to a fact or fiction round oh I know this so, is the bit that gets scary <laughs> it is. you know every listener's like ah oh. so you just have to answer fact or fiction okay I promise you are going to nail it okay um, let's so, do this here we go 
You won't get enough protein following a vegan diet. Fiction. <laughs> Switching to a vegan diet can significantly reduce your carbon footprint. Oh, fact. Yeah. If you are vegan, you are healthy. Fiction. Mm-hmm. We can get sufficient amounts of omega-3 from plant foods such as chia, flax and walnuts, so there's no need to supplement. I'd say that's a mix of fact and fiction. Uh, I'd like to explain that more. Yeah, do. But, okay, go for it. So um, we know that flax, chia, hemp seeds, walnuts are amazing sources of omega-3. Some people don't necessarily convert them as well to mm. the DHA, EPA that you'd get from fish. Um, so as an insurance policy, there may be some vulnerable groups that would benefit from an algae oil supplement, such as uh, pregnant women, um, maybe some elderly populations, perhaps children as well. We don't yet have the data to say that it's absolutely necessary. It is optional, but um, it's a nice insurance policy. Absolutely. Soy protein leads to raised estrogen levels. Fiction. Love that. Following a vegan diet is expensive. Fiction. You shouldn't raise children on a vegan diet. Fiction. We're designed to eat meat and fish. Uh, mixture of fact and fiction, I suppose, for me, because we certainly don't need those foods to thrive. Uh, but it's also true to say that we have um, evolved using those foods. Some populations of people have only eaten fish. Some populations of people have only eaten things that they were able to source and cultivate from the ground. And everyone else is usually somewhere in a cultural mix in the middle. Absolutely. The last one, we need to drink cow's milk for calcium. Mm, fiction. Fantastic. What a great fact or fiction. Oh. I also want to go back to the vegan and healthy assumption mm. because we're not by any means saying you can be a healthy vegan or plant-based eater, are we? We, we? No. I mean, I think the thing that people need to understand is that every dietary pattern has its pros and cons and you know, people may be really interested in animal compassion in the environment mm. and they may like to eat a junk food vegan diet. Well, vegan donuts are yummy. Well, yeah. <laughs> of course, they're delish. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoy those as well. So I think it's about being realistic about about you know what your dietary pattern is and what you would like it to be and everybody's different um if somebody eats a mostly whole foods plant-based diet they're going to be eating a really healthy and abundant dietary pattern which is one of the healthiest in the world love that oh no it wraps up the the episode now um we always finish with a food for thought Gemma, and i think i want to start i'm going to try and get this across coherently by just saying thank you to everyone that took the time to get to the end of the podcast because I do completely appreciate that the topics we're discussing can be highly emotive, overwhelming and, you know, there's a reason I've I've never discussed my dietary choices before um, because I don't want people to feel that they have to emulate what a nutritionist does. I want them to be able to make their own, you know, choices. There's no judgment if you do consume meat. You can make a change by reducing it. You just need to have it once a week if you're someone that has it every day. You know, there are changes that can be made for regardless of your dietary pattern. I think that's that's an important message to get across. But what's really clear to me after chatting to you today is that it's gone too far. For me, it's a very ethical conversation as well. And I feel very passionately about animal welfare, life on the planet. The wildlife stats you gave me, 4% is just not acceptable to me so my take home is basically we can make small changes and Gemma what would your food for thought be today oh yeah my food for thought is that we can change the world with every bite that we eat and I would love for people to feel inspired to do that 
I mean, you've got some exciting projects coming up as well. Where can everyone go to learn more about what you're doing and oh. what's coming up? Well, Rhiannon, I have to get... One. This is the exciting. This, this is, is the, the big, big news. One. I've been waiting to get to the end to be like, guys, you have to go. <laughs> I have written a second book and it is my baby. Oh. I have put so much love and heart into this book um, and it's going to be coming out on the 21st of December. Fantastic. Get well, stay well. Love it. So we're going to keep it really simple for people. Um, Simple, free, actionable habits. I'm going to be obviously providing amazing recipes, but this time the focus is not just on food. So I've got recipes from Deliciously Ella, The Happy Pear, Dr. Rupi Orgler, which is wonderful. But I've also got psychology, uh, nature therapy, Nature therapy, I love that. Yes, the science of sleep. Yes, and Um, do you mention heart health, of course? I mention all the ways in which we can start to lift our well-being that are free and accessible. And it's a bespoke plan as well. So I kind of take you by the hand, I walk you through, you can journal in it, you can make it your own. And, you know, this is the culmination of all my years of work. So It absolutely is. I was going to say, thank you for all the work you do because to be mm. able to stand up and deliver highly important emotional conversations with eloquent fact is impressive and I think for everyone you've got to pre-order that book now because this episode is going to come out before December and Gemma just thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought today it means the world to me thank you Rhiannon I've loved every moment Right, that's it. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, you will love what we have coming up in future episodes, I have no doubt. So if you're not already, you just have to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. So this means you get a little notification bell. I wish I'd known about it earlier. So you don't miss out on the new episode and it comes out every single Monday. We've been doing Mondays since the start of Food for Thought. We're now on Series 16. There is a lot of misinformation out there and I really hope that we're continuing to bring you the latest research along with our special guests to ensure that you're just getting the best experience possible. So if you are enjoying our episodes and you're learning lots, then please do leave us a review or get in touch. This will help enormously and ultimately help us reach more people and make sure we're doing the right thing by you and giving you the right information. So if you want to learn more about the best-selling books, the clinic, perhaps you need to book in to see one of our fantastic clinicians or to find out more about Retrition Plus, you can find everything you need to know on retrition.com and you can follow, of course, me on Retrition on all social media platforms. Yes, I'm even on TikTok now, guys. So you can head over there and check it out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 